0: Bless God, bless God. Hey, as you remain standing, I'd like you to take your Bibles and open them up with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. For those of you that maybe are just joining us today for the first time, this summer we have been in a series that we have simply called Songs of Summer. And we have spent the summer looking at various Psalms that we have in the Bible. Today we're going to finish that series with... One of the most beloved psalms in the collection of songs, it's Psalm 91. And beginning at verse number 1, we read these powerful words. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And from the perilous pestilence He shall cover you with His feathers And under His wings You shall take refuge His truth shall be your shield and buckler You shall not be afraid of the terror by night Nor of the arrow that flies by day Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday A thousand may fall at your side And ten thousand at your right hand But it shall not come near you Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you. How many of you are thankful for ministering spirits that still minister to the people of salvation? They will keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because, and this is God speaking now. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This morning, for a few moments, I want to share with you a very simple message entitled, A Song from the Battlefield. Father, would you glorify your name in this message may you speak to our hearts and may we have great courage to face the days that we live in in jesus name and everyone said amen and amen would you give the lord praise in this house one more time come on give him praise in this house bless the lord before you're seated turn your neighbor and tell him you love him in jesus name Bless the Lord. You know, if there is anything that we can take away from the events in our country over the last several weeks, it would have to be that they have served as a reminder to us that we are living in very dangerous days. There is no way to sugarcoat it. We are living in very dangerous times. For years, I have been fixated on the warning that the Apostle Paul gave the church in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1 where he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. He doesn't say perilous times might come. He said perilous times will come. It is a certainty that they will come. Perilous here, many of you know, means savage. It means violent, brutal, hard to deal with it means to seize what's interesting is that it also carries the idea of intensifying of increasingly becoming more and more urgent what the apostle paul is saying is that as we draw closer to the coming of our lord and savior jesus christ that we are going to see intensifying savagery intensifying violence intensifying brutality intensifying fierceness. That the days are going to become more and more urgent, harder to deal with, and for that very reason, many are going to succumb to that pressure. And we have evidence of that all around us. On August the 3rd, a... Shooter opened fire on a crowd gathered in a shopping area in El Paso, Texas. It's hard to believe that less than 13 hours later, another shooter attacked a gathering at a Dayton, Ohio bar. 31 were killed collectively. And while our nation's attention was rightly upon these shootings, flying under the radar was the fact that the city of Chicago experienced its deadliest weekend of the year so far. By the week's end, seven people were dead, 52 were injured. And that's from Friday evening to Sunday evening. And just this past Wednesday, we were all horrified, shocked with six officers who were shot in a standoff right here in our backyard of Philadelphia. These examples and so many others of them leave no doubt that the perilous times have come. We don't have to wait any longer for the perilous times to come. They have already arrived. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're already here. We're not waiting for prophecy to be fulfilled. It is being fulfilled right now. But what I want you to notice is that as you walk through that warning and move on from verse number 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you realize that the violence he is talking about is not primarily physical violence, but rather spiritual violence. That there will be spiritually violent days as men and women commit more and more grievous and treacherous violent acts against the Lord and against his body. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3, Paul speaks of a great falling away that will come first before the day of the Lord arrives. And certainly as you walk through many of the letters of the Apostle Paul, you will hear him talk about this great falling away from the faith, that many will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the demons. And we see that happening before our very eyes. Over the last several weeks, two somewhat prominent figures in the Christian world publicly announced their departure from the faith. One, a former pastor who rose to national recognition in the late 90s or the early 2000s with the release of a runaway best-selling book announced publicly even on Facebook and other social media platforms that he and his wife were divorcing. Just a couple of days later, he announced that he was no longer a Christian and with that announcement also issued an apology to the LGBT community for ever speaking out against their behavior. And then just a few days after that, he again on social media announced that he was marching in a gay pride parade held in Canada. The other that I was speaking of is a Christian songwriter who was responsible for some of the most well-known worship songs in the last 25 years, songs that we sing even here at Bethel. And he announced that he was, quote, genuinely losing his faith. Later that same week, he said that he hasn't renounced his faith completely, but he still said, quote, I am on incredibly shaky ground. Now, folks, that is very upsetting, and it comes really on the heels of a number of very high-profile pastors and ministry leaders that have fallen over the last couple of years. Some of them maybe went under the radar, but for many of us that try to keep up on Christian events, we have seen as they have stepped out of ministry because of sexual allegations and abuse that they have been practicing, in many cases, for decades, Folks, these days, though troubling, should not move us. Even though they are very discouraging, they should not cause us to shake in our faith because Jesus told us ahead of time that these days were to be expected. That as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, we are going to see more and more abandon the faith that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse number 12, Because lawlessness or life without restraint is what that means, will abound, the love of many Christians will grow cold. Now, I readily admit to you that I added Christian there, but I believe that that is well-founded because the word love that is used there is the word that the Greeks use almost exclusively to define the love that you would find in the Christian community. I believe Jesus was talking about the state of the church at that time, that because lawlessness will abound, because men and women will not want to live by the laws of God, because men and women will no longer want to be restrained and live any way they want to, that their love that once burned passionately for God will grow cold. After warning us in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, in verse 8, he tells us these sobering things. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus made it very clear. I mean, these are not my words. Jesus said, when I come back, you will be hard-pressed to find anyone that has genuine faith in me. I'm going to tell you, folks, we are in a battle Turn to your neighbor and tell him, we are in a battle. And that is what you have to see it as. We are in a spiritual war. Though we are certainly conquerors in Jesus Christ... And even though we have overcome through the blood of the Lamb, we are still fighting and struggling. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You are fighting an invisible enemy today. And the fight, as we said last week, is not to win the battle because the battle has already been won 2,000 years ago go on the cross. The battle is to maintain our faith in the Lord, that in spite of how difficult times become, we do not lose heart, we do not give up, we do not give in, but we stand fast for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. Come on, can I hear a better amen? That's the fight we are engaged in. And in the midst of the battle there is only one safe space and the psalmist talked about it right here in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Can I tell you, we hear a lot today in the media and in news about safe places and everybody wants their safe space and they don't want to be triggered and they don't want to be angry. They want a safe place. Well, I only know of one safe place, and it's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God and dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty. When He is surrounding you, no weapon formed against you can ever prosper. In Jesus' mighty name. How many of you are glad you got a shelter in the storm, and His name is Jesus Christ? Whether you realize it or not, this psalm is a song of warfare, of spiritual warfare. The language that is used here is not to be taken literally, it is meant to be taken figuratively. He is describing a spiritual war. It is a song that emerged from the battlefield that the psalmist remembered that no matter how difficult the battle belonged to the Lord and that if he dwelt in the secret place with him that the spiritual attacks of the enemy would not overtake him. And I want you to be convinced that even though you are in a battle today, the battle is the Lord's and if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God, then the spiritual attacks of the enemy will never overtake you for the glory and the honor of God. Blessed is the one who abides in the presence of Almighty God because again, no weapon formed against them will ever prosper. Can I hear a good amen if you believe that? In Jesus' name. But again, the key there is that word dwell. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. Dwell's a powerful word. Dwell means to abide. Uh, Dwell means to remain. It means to be inhabited. In fact, in other places in the Old Testament, it is used to describe a husband and a wife dwelling together in marriage. And it's this idea of permanency. It, It is that of this is my dwelling place. So clearly, this is not a visitation. It is a habitation. You cannot think of dwelling in His presence as a time when you visit the presence of God. It is inhabiting the presence of God. The secret place or God's presence is not a place that we visit when we have a need or we come to when life is falling apart. The presence of God is not what we do for two hours once a week on a Sunday morning. No, His presence has to be our dwelling place. We live and abide in an everlasting covenant. And folks, you you cannot shortcut this. You cannot practice the presence of God just when the bottom of life has fallen out. You have got to practice the presence of God every single day of your life. He who dwells in the secret place abides into the shadow of the Almighty. In Jesus' name. And the reason I say that is because it's amazing to me the individuals who want to lay claim to all the promises and all the provisions of this incredible song, but they do not want to embrace the conditions under which these provisions are made. They want to go to the Psalm 91 and they want to claim all of these promises, all of these provisions, but they don't dwell in the presence of Almighty God. They don't have any relationship with Him at all. And then when the provisions provision seem to be strangely out of reach, they get angry with God, they blame God and say, God failed me. No, folks, He never made those promises to just anyone. He made those promises to those who dwell in the secret place and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You can't run to God and rub the magic lamp and He is going to come out and give you three wishes. You've got to live and abide under the shadow of the Almighty, then God will meet you in Jesus' name. See, we get this idea that God has to cover me wherever I go. I was telling the first, the first uh, service that a few weeks ago when Kathy and I were in Orlando for the Assemblies of God conference, it rained several days while we were there, not the whole day, but in the evenings. You know what it's like in Orlando in August. It rains almost every afternoon. And and so every afternoon, if we were outside, I had to carry a uh, umbrella, and wherever Kathy wanted to go, I was there to make sure that the storm did not touch her. i That was my response. She was abiding under the shadow of that umbrella, okay? But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. If you want to abide in His shadow, He's not going where you're going. He's going where He's going. And if you want to abide under His shadow, you got to stay with Him. You see, a lot of you wake up every morning and you expect God to touch you and bless you, but you're outside of the will of God. How many of you want to be under His, uh, His protection. How many of you want His provision? Then you got to go where He's going. you got to be where He is. That's why every morning you get up and say, Lord, direct me and guide my life. Because God is under no obligation to take care of you when you're outside of His will. He wants to take care of you, but you got to abide closely in His presence. And then everything you have need of will be met in Jesus' mighty name. Can I hear a good amen. Do you believe that, watch this. Verse 3, he says, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. If there is any doubt in your mind that this is a spiritual warfare he's talking about, it, it should be removed right there in those two words. Perilous pestilence. Many of you know that pestilence in the Old Testament is dealing with a, a disease or a plague that can literally spread rapidly and kill thousands and tens of thousands of people in a very uh, sudden manner. But here it is spiritual language and we know that because the word perilous is where we get the word uh, mischievous. And so what it literally is saying there is plagues of of mischievousness uh, uh, plagues of mischief and the enemy has mischievous plans for your life and it's his desire to plague you with them but we have this assurance he, almighty God will deliver us from the snare of the flower. It, fowler it doesn't matter what the enemy brings against you you know that He, God will deliver you from it. Now what is a fowler? that's important here a fowler in that day was a bird catcher, but not just a bird catcher that catches birds for the sake of catching birds. We're talking about a trained professional. There are some birds, how many of you know, are more valuable than others. There are exotic birds. There are birds that have certain talents, certain abilities that make them more valuable. And a fowler was an expert In capturing these exotic and expensive birds. He spent his life understanding the ways and the appetites of these birds. So he knew how to trap them. He knew the best trap to lay for them. He even knew how to design a trap that was specifically for that bird because, again, he had spent his life understanding and testing and watching their habits, their nature, their tendencies, their weaknesses, their strength. He knew all about them, so he knew the perfect trap... To set for that bird. Does that sound... Familiar to you at all, the very first time that we are introduced to Satan he 's embodied a serpent in Genesis chapter number three, where it says that the serpent is more cunning than any of the other animals in the garden. The word cunning there is strategist He was a strategist, in other words, long before he ever came against Eve, he had watched her he had he had been examining her life, and he knew the perfect trap to set for her. And I'm going to tell you folks, that is how the enemy works. And this is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not to be ignorant of the enemy's well thought out plans and purposes for our destruction lest he get an advantage over us. The enemy since you were born has been watching you. He knows your nature, your weaknesses, what tempts you. He knows your vulnerabilities and your tendencies and He knows the perfect snare to bring against you, to trap you. But the good news is, is that if you are abiding in the secret place of the Most High God, He will be your refuge. He will be your fortress. You don't have to live in fear because greater is He that is in you than He that is in this world and it doesn't matter what the enemy sets for your destruction, it can never prosper for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. Now, what I see here in this psalm are four snares or four attacks that we need to deal with in this life. And I just want you to be able to identify them here. They're listed for us in verse 13 where he says, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Now, whether you realize it or not, these four animals represent four attacks that the enemy can bring. There is the attack of the cobra, which represents the sudden attack. There is the attack of the lion, which represents the satanic attack. There is the attack of the young lion which represents the subtle attack and then there is the attack of the dragon which represents the silent attack. And we're going to look at them all very quickly. Number one, the attack of the cobra. The attack of the the cobra and this again represents the sudden attack. Now I use the New King James word here, cobra, but the better translation would be viper or even the asp. Okay? that's really what he's talking about. It really wasn't a cobra, but I'm just using the word that's here. Either way, it is talking about the sudden strike capability of an asp or a cobra or a viper. When you think of a viper, when you think of an asp, you think of something that obviously is very deadly, but you think of quick, you think of something that strikes quickly Um, These are snakes that um, lay silently until the last moment and then they strike. And these are the attacks that are just like that. They come out of nowhere. You cannot prepare for them. They're sudden. They're fast. They come unannounced and they are toxic if they're not dealt with very quickly. The Bible actually uses this analogy in verse number 5 of Psalm 91 to describe them. They are the arrows that fly by day. Um, It's the idea of a sniper... When you think of a, of a, an arrow that flies by day, it is that, that sniper attack. And we've all seen military movies where they feel relatively safe and the soldiers are just walking through the streets or they're walking through the jungle or they're walking through wherever they are and then suddenly there is a sniper that takes one of them out and they are killed instantly. And that's the idea here. It is the doctor that calls you up and says, you have cancer. It is the boss who calls you Into your office and says, I'm going to have to let you go after you have just put down a down payment on a new house. It's the guidance counselor that says, come into my office. I'm sorry to tell you that your grades are not good enough for you to pursue the career path you have chosen. It's the spouse that comes in to your room at night and says, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. I'm seeing someone else. It's that son or that daughter that all of a sudden begins to go out with other people that you have never approved of. They begin to live, listen to other voices and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you do not recognize your son, you don't recognize your daughter, it is that sudden attack, I wonder if there's anybody here that knows what I'm talking about this morning, that you've ever come under a sudden attack, it came with a phone call it came with a text, it came with an instant message, but out of nowhere there was a sudden attack and immediately your life was turned upside down, is there anyone that knows what I'm talking about here today? Now, please understand me when I say this, and this is why I'm hesitant always to go into spiritual warfare. I don't mean that the enemy is the one that is doing all of these things. We always say that, well, that's the enemy doing this, and the enemy that's doing that. Listen, people still have their free will. People are still free to do whatever they want to do. Satan is not the one that is always orchestrating those events. In fact, as I was studying the asp and I was studying the, the viper the other day, I found that they dwell in the wilderness. They dwell in the desert place, and they usually hide under rocks or in a cool area, and they wait for their prey and they strike suddenly. And every once in a while, we find ourselves in the wilderness. Every once in a while, we find. Ourselves in a desert place Every once in a while we get that Phone call from the doctor And we get that phone call from our children And it sends us into a panic It's not the enemy right there He's the one that is Hiding in the shadowy area Waiting to strike at your most Vulnerable moment so that in That moment he can say God doesn't Love you God has failed you If God loved you, why did he allow that to happen? If God loved you, why did he let him go? Why did he let her leave? Why did your kids fall away from the Lord? He failed you. He didn't love you. He waits until you have been badly damaged and badly rocked by the circumstances. And then he comes in and he strikes quickly and says, God has failed you. But I'm here today to tell you that he has never failed you. Even though you are in the sudden attack, he is still with you. Can you say amen to that this morning? And there are three things that He tells us to do when that sudden attack comes. Number one, He tells us to stay close to Him. Number two, He tells us to call upon Him. And then thirdly, He tells us to cultivate a heart of victory. Look at verse number 14. He says, because He has set His love upon me, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him on high because He has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. Did you notice that? I will be with Him in trouble. We want Him to always deliver us out of the trouble, but He is always with us in the trouble. Amen. I will deliver Him and honor Him. With long life I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. The Father says He will deliver us because we have set our love on Him. The word set is the idea of casting your gaze upon Him. That's the idea. It is gazing in Him. It's the idea that I have gazed uh, lovingly and longingly upon the Lord. It's carrying the idea of staying close to Him. Of keeping your eyes on Jesus. And the imagery that is there is that you are in a tight place that you will never find your way out of unless you keep your eyes firmly fixed Upon the Lord And if you stay close to Him He will get you through that storm For His glory And for His honor alone Now I told you back here a while ago That um, you know I was raised In the old fashioned Pentecostal church And I know not everyone was But when I was growing up basically the counsel that you received for anything you went through was keep your eyes on jesus but my marriage is falling apart keep your eyes on jesus i'm in the midst of a battle keep your eyes on jesus how many of you remember those days it didn't matter what was happening that was the counsel you got keep your eyes on jesus now i'm telling you it might go a little deeper than that once in a while but it's a good place to start because it is hard to fall away When your eyes are firmly fixed upon Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. And so maybe the best counsel I can give you is stop looking at the storm and start looking at the Savior. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He'll get you out of it in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody give God the praise for that. You stay close to Him. He says, call on me and I will answer. Don't stop praying. I wish I had time to go into that one, but don't stop praying. And then the last one is you got to cultivate a heart of victory. What do I mean by that? I love what Paul, uh, the, the psalmist says here. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. I will say of the Lord. Now understand, he wasn't quoting anyone he was speaking from his experience. He's saying, you know what? I have fostered and cultivated a relationship with God for decades. And now I am under a sudden attack. But I'm not going to fear any evil because I'm going to say of the Lord, He has been my refuge. He is my refuge. He's not just my fortress. He is my fortress. Right now, my God and in Him I'm going to trust. And He's going to see me through this storm it hearkens back to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 he said, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels or principalities the things present things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Again, he wasn't quoting someone he was speaking from his experience he says, you know what, I've been walking with God for decades and now I'm persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. we be Lazy Christians who just Memorize scriptures and we think In the struggle that we can just quote them And everything will go away No folks you got to build that testimony You cultivate a relationship With God because that sudden attack Is coming but if you've done your Homework when it comes you can say Of the Lord he is my refuge He's my fortress My God in him I will trust He's going to get me out of it In Jesus mighty name Come on can somebody say amen that this morning secondly secondly there is the attack of the of the lion the attack of the lion and this is a satanic attack you know peter talked about this in first peter 5 and verse number 8 he says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour whom may he devour those who are not sober and vigilant I mean, literally, that's what he's saying. He's saying as long as you are sober-minded and your mind is fixed upon the Lord and you are vigilant, watchful, the enemy can't take you. That's what he says. He says, I just need you to be sober-minded. Don't be intoxicated with the spirit of this age. You be sober-minded. You be fixed upon the Lord. You be vigilant in watching your heart before the Lord and the enemy cannot touch you. But there is a satanic attack. And we talk about it in Psalm 91, in verse number 7. He says, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Now again, remember, these are figurative words. This is figurative language here. He's talking about a spiritual war, not a physical battle. And so the, the 11,000 that he's just mentioned here that will fall at his left and his right hand, they're not physical men and women in that sense, okay? It's not like this battle. What he is saying is that as we journey through our walk with the Lord, we are going to see professing Christians falling away left and right. That's the imagery that's here. He's saying as you walk through this life, there are going to be many who have professed to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they're going to fall away left and right. In May, it's past May, I celebrated my 30th graduation from Bible college. And the other day I was just thumbing through some of my classmates on Facebook and other social media platforms, and... You know, there are some that went to Bible college, never got into full-time ministry, but love the Lord, serving Him today. Some that started out in ministry, but for one reason or another got out of ministry, but they're living for the Lord today. There are many others who are not, not only not in ministry, but are not even serving Jesus today. I've been in the ministry for 30 years. And I can tell you that many pastors that I started with, many that I new along the way um, are no longer serving Christ pastors remember when i was traveling i just thought of this right now and hadn't thought about it in a long time just right now there was a pastor i met out in utah and he made such an impact in my life for just a few days that i was at that church Many of you know we traveled with a Christian drama ministry, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And we were in that church, and I met with him on a regular basis while I was there. And he spoke into my life and just ministered to me. And about three years later, four years later, when I became the pastor here, I went to reach out to him and found out, I had no idea, that just about a year after I had been there, he stood before his congregation, announced he was divorcing his wife but that he was going to get married next weekend. And yeah, that's what I said. And 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 then asked the church if he they wanted him to continue as his pastor. And they overwhelmingly voted him back in as their senior pastor. I've seen it. And if you're you're going to see it too. If you're going to serve the Lord For years, you better realize that there are people that profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, whether they are or not, is between the Lord and them, but profess to know the Lord that are going to fall by the wayside. And if you're not careful, you can become cynical, you can become jaded, and you can begin to think, why am I trying so hard? You start entertaining thoughts, everyone sins anyway, and I might as well sin. No one's trying to live a holy life Everybody's marriage is failing. No one stays together anymore. I mean, why am I trying to live a godly life? And you've got to recognize that that is a satanic attack. And you've got to say in that moment, No, the Lord is my dwelling place. He is my refuge. And if I stay true, then none of these things will come to me. Yes, a thousand may fall at one side and ten thousand on the other side. But I'm not going to be moved if I am the last child of God on this planet, then I'll be the last child because there is no other name given by which man may be saved but the name of Jesus Christ and I'm abiding in Him. In Jesus' name. Psalm 10 and verse 9, he says, He lies in wait secretly as a lion is dead. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor. And, and, and the poor here... He's not talking about financial poverty. He's talking about weakness, affliction, depression. He's talking about men and women who are vulnerable at that particular time. I heard a pastor say that this past week and it really resonated in my heart because it's been my experience as well. As pastors, we tend to look at our congregations and say, you know, they are weak and they are strong. Not in a judgmental way, but we'll say they've walked with the Lord for many, many years. They're strong in the Lord. They've been with the Lord of fewer years, they're weaker in the Lord, okay? But what he said is, in, after 30 plus years of pastoral ministry, I've come to realize that's not, that's not how I see it now. Because the reality is, depending upon the season that any of us are in, we all have the potential of being weak or strong. How long you've walked with the Lord has nothing to do with how weak or how strong you are. It just depends on the season that you find yourself in. Like a lot of people would look at me and they would say, Pastor Kirk, you've been walking with the Lord for 47 out of your 52 years on this planet. You're strong in the Lord. To which I would say, it just depends on what day you're talking about. (laughs) Monday, I don't feel that strong. Especially when I bombed in the pulpit. I mean, it just, you know, it just depends on the day. Yes, I, I, I sense the strength of the Lord, but man, things can change that quickly. For those of you, you know, that, that may not know my story, I, I was saved when I was five years old, and I know it's hard for some people to, to, to grasp, but I'm going to tell you, I can see it as clearly in my eyes today as when it happened 47 years ago. In my church, it was in that seat right there. Five years old. The power of God came over me. You don't have much to repent of at five years old. But, but God got a hold of me right in that, in that seat. And I remember just weeping uncontrollably for probably a half an hour. And then turning. And I can tell you the names of all of the men of God in our church that were gathered around me. And we prayed through it. Remember those old, those old things? You were told to pray through. <laughs> you just pray until you're through. Amen? And, and, and God met me there. And that didn't mean that I didn't have struggles. I've told you, high school was a struggle for me. However, God was faithful. And it's been full on ever since then. And people would say, well, you're pretty strong. And I would just tell you, at times, I know that I'm strong. But I'll tell you, there are other times I know that I am weak. We're vulnerable and every one of us need to know that. That's why Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest you fall. There's none of us in this room that are as strong as we think we are. We all go through battles, and sometimes we go through a series of battles where there's no time to recover, and we're weak and vulnerable. You can become so busy that before you know it, you're not praying, you're not studying, you're not fellowshipping, you're not attending, you're not serving. I was just talking to a brother before the first service this morning, and he even said that to me. He says, life just gets so busy. And I said, he said, I, don't, I didn't even realize it the other day that it's been this long since I've been with my brothers. Sometimes we get offended and and that offense becomes bitterness and we become vulnerable. Sometimes we are our most vulnerable when we think we're all of that. I have seen people that cry out to God when the world is falling apart. But when things get better, they just go back to their same lifestyle because they think the strength is coming from them. The Bible says, he who dwells in the secret place... Your strength is not being determined by your willpower. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is carrying you every day of your life. And if you're going to make it in any attack, your strength must come from the Lord. That's why in Ephesians 6 he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Third attack is the attack of the young lion. The young lion... And these are the small and subtle attacks. i got to move quickly. These are little compromises. These are little allowances that we make in our lives that at the time don't feel that bad. In fact, they feel relatively insignificant. We think, that's not that bad. I mean, I, I, I know it's probably not the best thing, but really, it's not as bad as what they've done. It's not as bad as what they're doing. At least I'm not like them. It's it's usually justified with, I can stop this anytime I want to. I can quit this any moment. We just don't think that they're bad. They're little compromises. They seem insignificant, but what we don't realize is as small as they are, they opened up a door for the enemy to take a foothold in our lives. You know, I've watched my share of, you know nature shows and nature books and I have yet to see anybody that saw a little baby lion cub and so he's so cute when you just love to have a little baby cub and bring him into your house and yeah (laughs) baby cubs grow up to be lions and it doesn't matter whether it's a cub or it's an adult it's still a lion And how many times have we heard of people that brought a lion into their house and everything was great until one day it snapped and it maimed the owner. And these little compromises may feel really good. These secret indulgences may seem harmless, but they grow and they destroy. Because it doesn't matter whether it's a little compromise or it's a full-blown sin, its nature is still the same. It kills and destroys. That's why we are told in Song of Solomon to be on the lookout for the little foxes that spoil the vine. In Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 1, we are told to be on the lookout for the little folly that causes us to give off a foul odor. We are warned in Proverbs 6 of the little sleep of a little slumber, of just taking it easy in our walk with God and not taking it seriously. In Matthew 6 and verse 30, we are warned against little faith and not trusting God completely with every area of our life. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 47, we are told to be on the lookout for little love. Where where literally we start loving ourselves more than we love God. And the only way that you can protect yourself from these little compromises is abiding in the presence of the living God and sensing His conviction when you've opened that door just a little bit. And then finally is the attack of the dragon. This is the silent attack. It represents the invisible attack, the imaginary attacks. It is, it's the mind He refers to it in verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Why night? Because during the day you're awake, you're doing things, you're staying busy. Typically your mind is, is too active to really sit down. But when you are just alone with your thoughts and there's no place to run and there's no place to hide, it's then that we start letting our minds wander and we begin to think and imagine and wonder and worry about what is going to happen. And as I meditated on that this weekend, I felt to go in this direction and I'm almost done. I, I, it's easy to think about people that worry. Sit around at night and they worry about how this bill is going to get paid and how are we going to retire and how are we going to pay for this and, and to worry about the kids and all of that. I get that. But what about how we open the door for other things? Like when we entertain this. You know, I wonder how my life would have been different if I hadn't married him. If I had met her before I met my wife, I wonder how much different my life would have been. It's getting quiet here today. I wonder what would happen if I got a divorce. I wonder if God would forgive me. We don't even think that we're opening up a door for the enemy to come in and to bring destruction quickly the bible says that all the days of the desponding afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings it's when you sit down and you let your mind go anywhere that you want it to romans 1 in verse 21 speaks of vain imaginations and these would amount to thinking or imagining that is empty of any moral or godly value or purpose. Folks, as believers, we know the power of our thoughts and we have to learn how to be careful and monitor what we're thinking about. We don't have any room in our minds for thoughts that have no godly value or purpose whatsoever. And there is a dragon who would love nothing more than to sow a thought into your mind of a potential scenario that would lead you to wasting hours and hours of time thinking about things you have no business thinking about that will eventually deplete your joy, deplete your contentment, and deplete your confidence that God is going to see you through. And that's why Paul told us in 2nd Timothy, excuse me, 2nd Corinthians chapter number 10, that we're to cast down imaginations and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, this is a day-to-day struggle. I was talking to a sister between the services and she she was just talking about that you've got to take it immediately. Yes, you do. The moment a thought comes into your mind that is not of God, you got to take that captive And say no you're not, going to, you're not going to settle You're not going to dump in my mind And that has to happen All day long Because how many of you know Typically it's not going to go away The first time you take it captive It keeps coming back and coming back But you keep saying no I'm dwelling in the secret place Of the most high God And he's going to see me through In Jesus name Listen, let me give you this one scripture. I'm going to ask the musicians just to come. You want some good mental health counsel today? Listen to what the Bible says. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the victory. I know that anxiety comes, but he says, don't be anxious. You come into the presence of God and you pray it through. You let your requests be known to God and then you give it to him. And don't pick it up again. And if you give it to him, he says, if you give it to me, then I will give you the peace of God that passes all understanding and it will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus' mighty name. That is his plan of attack. Now, how do we maintain that victory? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report—if if there is anything virtuous or moral, and if there is anything that is praiseworthy, anything that is worthy of praise, meditate on these things. Folks, you and I have got to start taking captive every thought that is against truth, nobility, justice, purity, what is lovely, what is good report what is of morality and what is bringing praise to Almighty God if it doesn't fit that get rid of it as quickly as you can, you got to keep that mind sharp in Jesus name, I love what he says in Psalm 91 verse 4 he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge his truth shall be your shield and buckler, a buckler is just another word for a shield, he said your truth Will be our shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of terror by night. I love that. What he's saying is, you meditate on what is true, not what is factual. What is true? It might be a fact that I have cancer, but the truth is that He is the healer of my infirmities. And even if it doesn't go away the way I want it to, God can sustain me through it all in Jesus' mighty name. That's true. That'll be your shield. Listen, I can go on and on. And you know I can go on and on. Listen, here's the good news. It doesn't matter what attack you're talking about. It can be the sudden attack. It can be the satanic attack. It can be the subtle attack. And it can be the, uh, uh, this uh, silent attack. But the answer is still the same. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Your answer is in the presence of God. That's all I can tell you. Get alone with God. Cry out to Him. Practice the presence of God, and He will set you free. Listen, I I love this. I'm just going to give you this one last scripture. Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I love that. And, 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 and the reason I... Because remember, back there in verse 13, he says, you will trample under your feet all of these attacks. You're going to tread upon them. God wins the victory, but He does it through you. He says, I will crush Satan's head under your feet. And when will it happen? Shortly. When is, sh- when is shortly? I don't know. Shortly. But it would seem to me that what God is saying is, you're closer to your victory than you think you are. You know, that's what it... That's, you're closer to a breakthrough than you think you are. So he says, don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't give up. In Jesus' name. Tell him you're closer to a breakthrough than you realize. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet here today. Bless God. Can you lift up your hands and just worship the lord here today. Father God, we magnify your name. And you know, just just for